Hello, just before we begin this week's episode, I'm walking a very special musical Camino in May 2024, and I'm inviting you to join me. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? I'm walking from Leon to Santiago de Compostela in the first three weeks of May next year. I'll be performing concerts along the way. Pilgrims walking with me will pay a fee and every cent will go towards making my new album, Storyteller. We are already selling spots, so if you're interested, join now. Just go to danmullinsmusic.com. There's a list of frequently asked questions and a basic itinerary. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? Join me for a magical musical Camino. To reserve your spot, go to danmullinsmusic.com. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? Welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. If you're listening to this on the day it's released, it's Boxing Day. Or, depending where you are in the world, it may still be Christmas Day. Either way, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. I hope you and those you love have a wonderful festive season. This is a weekly podcast about El Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. I've been swamped with emails from people asking for a copy of Patrick Rawson's book, Mantras for a Mindful Camino. I think it was about six weeks ago I spoke to him. Alan wrote to me to ask for a copy and sent me a quote. You know how I love quotes. It was a sign he'd seen in a park near his house. The message was attributed to Aesop. No act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. So it is that the year comes to a close, and I extend my warmest thanks to Patrick Rawson for providing that book for my listeners, a true gesture of friendship and kindness. I'm gearing up for a big 2024. I have to get myself fit and Camino ready. It's one of those times in your life when you know you shouldn't eat that particular food or you need to get more rest. And it's not always easy to be kind to ourselves. In fact, often, in order to get fit and healthy... We have to do the hard yards. We have to challenge ourselves to go harder, to go further, to push ourselves, to try to get our game day fitness back. Sure, you develop fitness on the Camino, but you also need to have a level of fitness when you arrive on the Camino, so you can at least enjoy the walks. You don't want it to be so difficult you're suffering and missing out on the pure joy of pilgrimage. Too much staring at the ground in front of you means you miss what's around you. The same can be said for life. Too much shoegazing can mean you miss what's happening in your orbit. Too much dreaming means you're missing meaning. And wishing to be somewhere else or someone else is wasting who you are or where you are. So let's try and be more present in 2024. That's a promise to myself as I prepare, as I said, for a busy year, a trip to the United States in March, a trip to Spain in May for my magical musical Camino. So much to do and so little time. I have some big projects coming up, and with my day job, my second job as a musician, my third job as a podcast host, I'm kind of busy. But I still have dreams and ambitions. 
and I hope you do too. The Camino is a great place to imagine your dreams and to fulfill your dreams. Dreams can be whatever you want them to be. So while we're talking about effort and getting fitter and stronger, we can apply the same emphasis to our goals. The Brazilian billionaire Jorge Paulo Lemon said, To have a big dream requires the same effort as having a small dream. Dream big. So let's dream big together. I have to concede I don't know much about this week's guests, and I always find those interviews really interesting. Jamie and Vanessa Kwai are on the line from Ontario in Canada. Welcome, pilgrims. Hello, Dan. Merry Christmas. Hello. It's so great to talk to you. Let's get to know one another. Vanessa, I'll start with you. How did the Camino come into your lives? Oh, goodness. Um, It was actually on our first date, Dan. Oh, no way. Um, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, we had our first date in a, a chapters. A Canadian bookstore. A Canadian bookstore, a, a large chain. And we were walking up and down the uh, travel aisle just talking about the places we'd been and the places we wanted to go. And um, Jamie picked up uh, a Briarly book and said, this is something I've always wanted to do in my life. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but one day. And that was, and I said, you know, I think I've heard about this. And, and that was the beginning. How fantastic. You know, that's such a Canadian thing to do to go to a bookstore on your first date. (laughs) It was a safe, safe location. If if one of us turned out to not be who we said to be. (laughs) That's great. Great. So Jamie, what was it about the Camino that resonated with you individually? You said that's something you'd always wanted to do and then resonated with you as a couple. Do you think? Um, I had heard about the Camino for the first time, maybe turn of the millennium, 2001, 2002-ish. I had a friend, a co-worker who, uh, who had done it. I knew a few people who had done it. Uh, I had relatives who subsequently ended up doing the last 120 kilometers or so, Saria to Santiago. And I don't know what it was. It just lodged in my brain. Um, I'm going to also just mention, of course, the obligatory uh, – I'm a huge Martin Sheen fan. Ah, and yeah, okay. I actually liked I actually liked Emilio Estevez's first movie, The War at Home. So when I had found out that he had made another movie with his dad, uh, The Way, I had heard radio interviews, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to check out this movie." And uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I did, knowing nothing about going into it. Um, like, okay, that that speaks to me as well. And it just it lodged in my brain, but there was never a point where it made sense or I could get away from life to to do it. So Vanessa, when did you do it? And what Camino did you walk? Uh, So it was a little strange the way that it came about because um, Jamie had a huge life transition. Uh, He sold his business. uh, He was a third generation owner. And uh, when that happened or when that was happening, he said to me, you know, when this when this is all said and done, I'm going to do this. I'm I'm going to, you know, you should ask for permission from your employer to do this thing, too. And I, I just looked at him and I thought, there's no way that my employer is going to give me this much time off in a row. And and I thought, you know what? Let's just see what 
you know, the worst, the worst they're going to say is what I think they're going to say is no. And they didn't say no, they said yes. And then Mm -hmm. it was a matter of sorting out our lives and, you know, everything just kind of fell into place when we thought there's no way. And yes, it did. So we, we planned on doing the Camino Frances. That was always the goal. It was, uh, we were going to do the 800 kilometers from, um, Saint-Jean to, to Santiago. And, uh, logistically I was still, I, I work in agriculture. I, I'm, I'm in the wine business and was in the grape growing business. And the best time of year to go is spring. So we left in late March of this year, 2023. Uh-huh. And we finished uh, the very end of April of this yeah, year. April 28th. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That Was it busy then? It was starting to get busy. Um, just a little bit of context for those of us that don't remember that far back in the year. The French were rioting. Uh, in Paris, like Paris was burning at that point. Uh, they had sh- rolling strikes. So we actually managed, we flew into Paris and then took the train down to Saint-Jean and the train was not operating the day before we left. It was operating the day we left and then it wasn't operating for two days after. So there were these little fits. I was, we were told there were a lot of fits and starts on the Camino <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Because... We ended up with, I think there was only like 75 pilgrims that started out of Saint-Jean the day that we all started. And then you would see these pockets of some people, lots of people, no people. And I think it all just depended on how the rolling train strikes kind of fell and how people's walking rhythm started out. It was the strangest thing to see because it wasn't a typical Camino at all in that regard. We expected... Yeah. Um, we had to wait at the passport office in St. Jean to get our our, uh, our our pilgrim's passport for, I think, maybe half an hour, give or take. There was maybe a dozen people in front of us. And then we would get a photo from friends two or three days later, or somebody would post on a Facebook thread two or three days later, and the lineup would be 100 people deep, 150 people deep. So mm-hmm. it was it was very strange. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, but how lucky for you to have found yourself in that little pocket of of not so quite not quite so many yes yeah yes yes yeah, yes yeah. it was spectacular you know um you're talking to me from ontario i love ontario it's big man it's it's a big state right and <laughs> and it's beautiful yeah. it's beautiful like it's parts of it are, are it's what's interesting because it's got kind of all of a sudden you find yourself in quite a broad, flat rural area and then quite extraordinary, the mountains and what have you, and the lake and everything. But Canadians are outdoor people. Jamie, was the Camino easy for you because you spent Canadians spend so much time in the great outdoors? Um, well, working in farming and working in agriculture and, and just my job anyways, lifestyle – I, I put in fifteen to eighteen thousand steps most days that I'm I'm wow. outdoors working and I work in all seasons. So it I'm not gonna say it was easy. Um it certainly was one of the hardest things we'd ever done. Um the challenge we had is the part of Ontario we are from is uh relatively flat. It's like rolling hills, undulating. Uh, you look back on it afterwards and you say that was more Masetta like than we than we thought. And when we were training in, in our brains we're, we're, and in our bodies for the Camino, our biggest concern was how do we train for mountains? You yeah, know? Right. Like, and so like that was the part that was scaring us. It was the, uh, the Pyrenees that was scaring us. 
Uh, we knew we could do the flatland and we knew we could do the distance. We'd walk to a friend's house, 30 kilometers for, for lunch, you know, just to kind of train. We'd walk down to the beach. Um, so we got the distance thing under control, but, uh, no, we ended up having to go to hockey arenas and go up and down the stands to train for the, right. uh, the mountains. <laughs> but none of that in itself is the most Canadian thing that ever. Is, <laughs> that is but very to, Canadian. But to, but to give you a sense of, like you said, exactly how big Ontario is, we're in the southern part of Ontario. And it 800 kilometers sounds like a lot when you're walking to Camino, but 800 kilometers is the distance from where we are to our, our nation's capital. Well, in, we could, Ottawa. in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. So it's that doesn't even get us halfway out of the province at this point. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I think from from London you can drive 32 hours to the border with Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah that's about right. Yeah, you can spend all day driving through Ontario and not get out of Ontario. Yeah, that's right. It's so amazing. <laughs> so amazing. Um Vanessa was the renowned spiritual aspect of the Camino something that intrigued you did, or did that resonate with you? Um, once I realized that I was actually able to do it, to experience the entire thing, um, I really had this, I don't know what it was, this, uh, this firm belief that I was going to see what the Camino would provide what it would show me what it would um what it would reveal to me uh I I just assumed that you know everybody says the Camino provides and the entire purpose of my trip was just to see what I would take from that journey from that adventure to take back to my you know quote-unquote real life yeah. um you were open to everything. Yeah, I was. I was just open to the entire experience and and what it was going to show me. Yeah, right. So when you got out onto the Camino itself, you met other pilgrims. Vanessa, tell me about meeting people from all around the world. That aspect of the Camino. <laughs> um, it's funny. Jamie calls me a people collector, and it's the strangest thing because <laughs> I knew that I would meet people on the Camino and have these. Um, friendship experiences, but I didn't realize the absolute impact that it would have on my journey and on myself. We met people from all over the world. I think we hit almost every continent. Um, and you collect these families of people and you were people gravitate towards Vanessa. She has one of those auras about her that yeah. people will just walk up and start talking to her. Um, she's so approachable that way that she truly is a people collector. And and right from the get go, like we hadn't even started the Camino and we'd already met, you know, pilgrims and we were starting to make friends <laughs> on the train from Paris. That's right. <laughs> it was, well, uh, tell me about we were, people collecting. So uh, that fascinates me actually. So, uh, no, no, but I, I, I'm assuming that by that you mean you meet a lot of people and you carry a little bit of them with you or... or, or, or... Um, I just, I would meet people and I would form these random relationships. We met a fellow on the train. We met, I met in uh, Zubiri folks that I shared a laundry tub with. Um, people on our first night and our meal in Ralsa's Lai and they all just became 
part of our Camino family and they all didn't necessarily know each other. And I think I was in the beginning, maybe the common thread, the one person that connected them all. And that's, that's how our Camino families formed. And then about not quite shy of two weeks in those families converged in one spot. And then it was just, mm-hmm. everybody knew everybody and, and it was it was such an intimate and fantastic group of individuals doing the you know for all of their own purpose and I know. I would just add to that that Vanessa in her line of work is somebody who has gotten very good at developing relationships and genuinely caring about the people she's talking to and and wanting to know more about them and wanting to know specifics. So one of the reasons she from from an outsider's perspective or as close to an outsider as, as you can get perspective, um, she just asks interesting questions. You know, the, the second or third thing she'll ask them is something that probably nobody else has asked them on the Camino. And it just forms these these connections and, and people just gravitate to that because it's, it, from an outsider, again, from an outsider's perspective, it's more than simply just, hey, who, who are you? Where are you from? You know, after you hear uh, as a story, there's a there's an instant connection that she'll build, or she'll ask them something that just gets them off to the races. That's great. That's great. So, Vanessa, one more question then: is a, is a people collector a good listener? Yes, yes. It's all about open ended questions and trying to find the connection between you and that person on your respective journeys. Yeah, that's great. And <laughs> and you just said the respective journeys. Respect has a great deal to do with it too, right? Absolutely. Nobody's there for exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. People collector. I really love that. I love that. For some reason, you know what? I've got this image of it on a (laughs) T-shirt. Oh. I I like that. I like that too. There's there's like a bit of a Brady Bunch and and there's a little little box that says, uh, put your face here, you know. People collector, yeah. I like it. <laughs> so pilgrims you met from all around the world. Um, uh, Jamie, are you still in contact with some of those people? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we have, there's a WhatsApp thread um, that, that people periodically jump in and out of. Uh, one of the people we met on Camino, actually, his family is from about an hour away from where we are in Huron County. So um, we've stayed in touch with, uh, his name's Lenny. We've stayed in touch with Lenny. Um, Facebook, Facebook messages. I just posted something the other day and I, I think there's at least a dozen people from our Camino families that have, have reached out or, or connected that way. And, uh, no, we absolutely stay in touch. You, you'll see a birthday message posted when somebody's celebrating mm-hmm. a milestone and there's, there's talk about more Caminos in the night, in the near future. And everyone's trying to see if their schedules line up to possibly do something. Fantastic. Uh, oh, down the way. Yeah. Yeah. But my listeners uh, can't see us, but uh, I can see Vanessa and Jamie and Vanessa's got this big smile on her face and she's rubbing her hands together when you talk about next journeys and more journeys to come. But before we do that, Jamie, I think Vanessa just touched on the third generation of your family's uh, business. I wasn't aware that you'd sold out. I, I, my next question was: I do my research. Tell us about your wine and the history of wine. So I did, and I didn't know that that neck of the woods was particularly a wine region. Why don't you tell us about what you do? Yeah. Uh, so I was, or am, or was a uh, third generation winemaker, or second generation winemaker, third generation grape grower. 
Um, my grandparents were Italian immigrants, moved to Canada in the 50s. Uh, Growing Grapes was a retirement project. Uh, my parents started a winery in Ontario in the 1990s, late 80s. Uh, so we were actually one of the oldest wineries in Ontario uh, at that point. We're not a large region. I think all of Canada produces like 0.2% of the world's wine supply. Outside of outside of Canada, we're probably only known for ice wine because uh, it's one of the only countries that's consistently cold enough to, yeah. to get it. But the you get a little geeky here, but we do have the heat units. We do have the potential to grow... Uh, some of the more common grape varieties you're going to find in the world, the Chardonnay, uh, Riesling, uh, Cabernet Franc, a lot of Pinot Noir uh, being grown. Uh, there's a lot of Gamay Noir, uh, which is Beaujolais for those uh, who are on the wine periphery. Um, there's a lot of potential, uh, but the industry is fairly young. So the modern Ontario wine industry is only about 50 years old, give or take. So um, I'm an exception in the industry in that I, I'm one of the few people that's probably grown up in the wine industry. Most people come into it in their twenties and thirties because it's so uh, nascent, but I am definitely, uh, definitely been around for a long time. And, and it, as the addendum to that story, um, because the industry is changing so much, um, you look at the field, you look at where the future is going and you just say, uh, do I want to be in, uh, do I want to be a business owner? in the wine industry moving forward. And the opportunity came around to, to sell the operation and uh, found a buyer. And I said, you know what? You take it. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> I'll grow grapes. I'll grow grapes to make wine. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll disseminate that 40 years of knowledge I have. Um, the wine industry is a little quirky too. And that I always tell people you only get one chance a year to do your job. And if you're lucky, you may only have 40 chances in your professional career to do wow. your job and the rest is just cleaning up the mess afterwards. So, uh, to be 40 years, 41 years old and be, you know, I've got 35, 40 vintages under my belt right now, uh, having grown up in it, but still got another 20 years to go. Maybe who knows? Well, uh, there's opportunities and to see where the future is going. Cause the wine industry is changing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I thought one of the interesting things about, uh, Ontario was the LCBO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting is a great word so, uh, i didn't know this talk was going to get political um for those <laughs> for those uh who lcbo stands for the liquor control board of ontario it's um it's a state or in this case provincially run uh company it's a crown corporation it's owned by the province of ontario it controls both the regulation so like the rules around producing alcohol uh, you need a license from the LCBO. Uh, conversely, they also own the entire distribution model. So yeah. they're the retailers. So so, um, so if you want to buy a, a six-pack of beer or a couple of bottles of red wine to take to a restaurant, you go and buy it from the LCBO, the Liquor yep. liquor Control Board of Ontario, the, the provincial government. Absolutely. The bottle shop is owned Absolutely. by the provincial government. I thought that was really funny. Absolutely. Well, not funny, but interesting. It's kind of like, oh, wow, you're buying it. The government has their it hands on it. It is kind of funny. It is kind of funny. But I also know that um, you, someone told me while I was there that years ago, they used to keep a track of you You had to fill out a form, like a, a card or something, and, and give it to them. And then they, the government would know how much you're drinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. We uh, That hasn't been around for quite a while but if you go back a long ways like everything used to be behind cabinets and you just ask for it and uh they mm -hmm. would bring it forward to you like it was a uh, like consumers distributing 
Yeah, like a just yeah, an old antiquated. It was it's a very yeah. old antiquated system. Now they are modernizing quite a bit. Um, I will say, in defense of the LCBO, um, they do get a great selection. Uh, they get stuff from all over the world, so you can find stuff pretty 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 diverse selection. And what I would also say is um, one of the benefits of the LCBO is they pricing becomes standard. So. I've been places where the same bottle of wine in a rural beach town costs $3 more than it does in a downtown major metro center. And the LCBO equalizes that. So it's the same price regardless of where you yeah. are in the province. Um, yeah. But it is a behemoth. It is a behemoth. It is a behemoth. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was interesting to me the, the way that all sort of worked. Uh, I loved Ontario. Absolutely loved every minute of it. It was great. Vanessa, let's um, go back to the Camino. Um, you've decided that you're going to go. Your, your, your work says, yes, Vanessa, you can have that time off. Did you plan ahead? Were you spreadsheet pilgrims? Did you know where you're going to stay each night? Um, yes and no. We had started the trip with the, like, we booked our flights we booked the night before we started our Camino in Saint-Jean and then everything else after that we had thought was going to be, you know, the Camino will provide and we'll just walk as far as we walk. And, you know, we're loosely following the Briarly book and, um, you know, we'll find our pace and the Camino would provide. And then, uh, and then I got injured. Oh, I, I, <laughs> So I sit at a desk all day and that became much more concentrated, obviously during the pandemic. And I would spend, you know, eight, 10, 12, 14 hours a day just sitting. And then I went on this Camino. Um, so I had a, um, I had pain in my right knee that was referred from a tight hip that I just couldn't get under control and I ended up having to ship some of the weight from my bag ahead which meant that we had to plan a day in advance where we were going to sleep for a time during our Camino during the beginning of the Camino I think it was maybe Pamplona through um, probably well probably almost to Leon at that point yeah but yeah um, so about from Pamplona to Leon it was uh, it was a plan ahead situation, and then after that, it was more so just you know the pace we were walking and the family that was with us and sort of whatever the group idea was. We were very free flowing that way. We were just like you know I don't want to lose these people. I don't want to speed ahead. I don't want to take a rest and fall behind. The coming and the going of the respective families and just the giant ebb and the flow of the Camino. We just sort of rode that wave otherwise yeah. so, for the whole trip. So Yeah. So we'd know a day, like we'd know when we wake up in the morning where we were going to end up that day. Yes. But the next day was a giant question mark. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. And, and, and at that time of the year, did you ever struggle to find a bed? There were, I think when it started to get really congested, uh, you know, toward the end of the Camino and you get into, um, Sorry. When you when yeah when you get into Saria and you're well into Galicia, um, where you see a lot more pilgrims coming through as new pilgrims, then we had just decided sort of as a group that we were just going to go off book 
and stay sort of in the in-between places and target those smaller villages that aren't necessarily listed as a, a place to sleep or a larger destination. And uh, we just kind of navigated it that way. There were a few days where we had heard from people that were ahead of us and they're like, oh, there's only six beds left in the whole town. And so hmm. we had them secure a spot for us right. uh, while we're eating lunch 15 kilometers back. But hmm. for the most, like there was never a spot where we didn't find a place to sleep or heard of someone that had to come or go. Um, back behind us, there were quite a few pilgrims uh, that we were hearing about on on social media and through mutual friends and postings that were having just a heck of a time once all of those train strikes sort of cleared up and everybody sort of bottlenecked into the system. But that was after um, the Valcaros Pass was opened and uh, the snowstorms had passed. And yeah. So I think, again, we were just super lucky in the time frame that we happened to start and happened to finish. Um, we, we, looking back, we were fortunate in that, again, we, we caught that train schedule when it's, when it started, but most of the accommodations weren't really opening until April 1st. So you're yeah. on a reduced potential for that, that first little bit anyways. So there was always a chance that it could have been worse than it was. And it just, it just happened to be perfect. Like yeah. It just happened to work yeah. out really perfectly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that's fantastic. So I, I, there's a couple of questions that I sort of generally ask a lot of people, but I haven't for, what, for a while, but I've put them in for this particular interview. Jamie, what did you find most difficult on the Camino? Um, the most difficult part of the Camino for me was the – it was the mental – it was the mental aspect um, going into the Camino with a lot of life transition and, and those sort of things. I was processing a lot of things and, and I work in uh, I work in an industry where nothing happens quickly. So I'm used to things taking months and years uh, to come around. I always joke that I don't wear a watch because I don't measure time in hours and being forced to, to not think about work, being forced to not look at my phone Um that was a huge challenge for me because I was living and dying. As at one point, I'm managing, I'm managing a team outside in the vineyards, and I'm managing a team in the cellar, and I'm managing a team in sales, and doing all those things. Like I'm, I'm getting rid of that, shedding that business owner. You're always on. You're never off. That was a huge challenge for me. Um, the physical, the physical wasn't a challenge. I didn't get injured. I, I can count the number of blisters I had on on one hand. Like I really lucked out on that sense, but no, the mental game was, was there were days, there were days where I just, I couldn't get out of my head and I was probably not the nicest person to those people around me because of it. Um, <laughs> Vanessa, what about you? What did you find most difficult? Uh, well, um, I, uh, I know Jamie mentioned this to you before, but I have an autoimmune disease. I have Crohn's disease, Crohn's disease. Oh. So the Camino with Crohn's was, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how, how I was going to manage certain aspects of the trip and the accommodation that I would have to give myself. And it was, uh, it was a very interesting balance of, um, recognizing when you had to stop, when you had to rest, when you had to eat. Um, when you couldn't eat. When I couldn't eat. Uh, 
you know, as you well know, peanut butter is not a very common thing in Spain. And it's one of those things that no matter what, I can eat peanut butter. And Jamie found me peanut butter on the Camino. And uh, 99% of the trip was because the food there is so fresh and so pure and and generally fantastic along the journey. Uh, but every now and then I would find myself in a, in a rough spot. So that I think was my, that was my biggest struggle was just finding a way to balance what my body needed because of my Crohn's and yet still, you know, walk the way in the way that I felt it was meant to walk. Having been through it now with the Crohn's disease, um, if there's somebody listening who has a condition similar to Crohn's disease, what's something that you would suggest they do? Is there Was there some aspect of your planning that made it easier or, or more difficult? Um, I think it was something that I, I spoke to my specialists about it, obviously, when I was, you know, realizing that I could do this trip. I made sure that my treatment schedule as I, I'm on a biologic, uh, which meant that I scheduled my last treatment right before I was to go, which gave me a huge boost of energy. Right. Um, I made sure that I just listened to my body when my yeah. joints were sore. I looked after that. And when I, I just really made sure that all of the people that were available to me before I left while I was walking and preparing for that, that, that stress on my body that I was uh, as prepared as I could be in regard to what I carried with me. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good piece of advice. Be as prepared as you can be if you're walking. And I don't suppose many people who have a condition like Crohn's wouldn't be prepared. You'd need to know. Well, yeah. And then sometimes it meant you just, you know, you left your, you left your albergue a little late in the morning on occasion or, Perhaps you lingered a little longer over coffee or irregular meal times. You know, sometimes it meant you weren't you weren't going to eat your first. She wasn't going to eat her first meal until maybe two hours after everyone else was starving. It's like okay, well, we're going to take a few extra breaks today because yeah. Vanessa's body just on a slightly different schedule, and that was yeah. perfectly fine. Like that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. Was. yeah, yeah, yeah. Manage it and be prepared. Yeah, that's great. So, Vanessa, what surprised you about the Camino? Did you have a moment where you thought, wow, I didn't expect that? Oh, gosh. Um, I think it was the sheer beauty and peace mm. that I kept discovering. Um, everywhere I went, I was just surprised with how beautiful every space in itself was and the the small pieces that I took from everywhere I visited that became uh, a part of my Camino and just really resonated with me. I think the piece that I found on the Camino, um, the things that I was able to think about and work through and decisions that I made that I didn't expect to make, I think 
the things that the Camino showed me was the most surprising thing of all. It, it was what I was seeking. It was my purpose. But I think finding some of those answers to the questions that I had been rolling around in my head for months and years, that that was the the big surprising thing for me. Yeah, wow. What a great answer. That's fantastic. So, Jamie, what's <laughs> one thing you packed that you could have or should have left behind? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a larger guy. I'm six, three. I weigh two thirty if I'm lucky two forty if I'm not. So every article of clothing I have is just bigger. It weighs more. It was like size 12 boots, you know, like all those kind of things. Um, and I have issues with my ankles too. So I was wearing, I had a pair of, of, keen hikers that, that had ankle support and I had a pair of keen hikers that didn't have ankle support. And you know what? I would probably change my foot. I'd probably change that footwear. I would probably have dropped one of those pairs of shoes. I thought I was going to need both of them just to kind of keep it going. Um, but no, in hindsight, I would have dropped <laughs> a large pair of footwear. So how heavy was your pack? My pack would have been about when, well, let's see, about 35 pounds. So we're wow. talking 17, 20, yeah, 17 to 20 kilos, wow. give or take. Yeah, okay. That's heavy pack. Yeah. That's, that's heavy pack. Well, it, everything you read said, said one, pack light, and two, um, just uh, you know, keep it under 10% of your body weight. And her pack kept getting lighter and lighter and lighter because she's significantly smaller than I am. And that peanut butter that she finds and all those foods that we just had to pack because they ended up in my pack. They didn't end up in her pack. They ended up in my pack. The guy with no blisters gets the extra food weight. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Hey, Vanessa, give us a tip you learned while on the Camino, something people might find useful as they prepare for a first or a return to the Camino. You don't need as much as you think you need and uh, thread your blisters. <laughs> thread, thread your blisters. Thread your blisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good advice. And there, th th there's plenty of advice about it online. If you can take the tools you need and learn how to do it, it can be a game changer. Absolutely. Um, no, I think... I think the best piece of advice that I could give would be just let go of your expectations and let go of your stress and let go of your fear and um, let the Camino show you what it's going to show you Yeah, because it's going to be a grand adventure. Wow. Fantastic. I love that. Did you want to add something then, Jamie? I, yeah, actually, I, I wanted to circle back to the people collector thing for a second, because as an extension of this, I would argue that being part of a pe uh, being a part of a people collector was listening to people instead of simply waiting for your turn to talk. And one of the tips that I found was that if you just listened to people and waited for your turn to talk, somebody's skill set would, would make itself very clear. There were people we were walking with for several days um, who we learned very immediately were yoga instructors or were part-time. Uh, we met a gentleman named Francois who was a gastrointestinal surgeon, the person you want to meet when you have Crohn's. 
on the Camino. <laughs> and it was just learning uh, and just waiting because these skills would these skills would help out. Meeting people who were uh, physiotherapists, meeting people and just learning about them. And that's a huge tip. Like if you just make the superficial conversations, you're not going to get that help. And the, the free yoga classes in the backyard at the end of a, of a hard day was, was huge. So um, everybody had a skill set. And, and if you listened and if you were a part of that, um, that was a huge tip. It was a huge help. If you just walk by them, you, and we walked for with somebody for, I think three or four days before they revealed that they actually knew how to properly medically deal with blisters. And that was a game changer for us. Yeah. And yeah. Listen. Talk to the people at the table next to you. <laughs> Talk to people at the table next to you. Best tip. That is a great tip. Talk to the people at the table next to you. That's a great tip. Yeah, that's excellent. Hey, we were talking about Canada being like Australia. It's huge, right? Jamie, did you enjoy Absolutely. the slow aspect of the Camino, the step-by-step tourism? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I, 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 I had to break a habit and it took me a couple of weeks to break the habit is you're, you're walking and you're getting into uh, La Rioja and you're, you're, you're looking at the, the town on the mountainside, you know, it seems like it's 10 kilometers away. And in your brain, you look at the Briarly book and you say, Oh, well, it looks like it, that could be the town. And you start to look forward to it. You said, okay, that's where I'm going to go. And it took a while to break that habit of like, that's probably statistically not the town. The town you're looking for is on the other side of the mountains <laughs> around <laughs> the corner that yeah. you can't even see yet. Yeah, yeah. And once I broke that habit, once I, I stopped looking for the next town or stopped looking for the next destination, that slower pace started to kick in. And, and I think I, I think I probably enjoyed the second half more than I enjoyed the first half simply because I wasn't looking forward. I was, I was, Oh, I was looking forward, but I wasn't anticipating where mm. the next town was going to be. I just let, I just went with it. Yeah. Let yeah. It, let it present itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice. Vanessa, were you and Jamie shoegazers or did you look up and around to take everything in? <laughs> I would say all of the above. Um, but we used to, we played this game. It was called Clifford Castle. When you're, you know, um, when you're walking through and you're about to embark in a second set of mountains and you can see them off in the distance and there's this little bit of something on the side of the mountain and you don't know if it's, you know, the, the tower of the church in the town that you know you're next going to visit or you don't know if it's just a, you know, a craggy piece of cliff. Yeah. So we had these uh, just it felt like just a really long meandering stroll and we would, you know, play these games or, you know, catch up with people on their way faster or slower or uh, yeah. yeah, every, every day it was. Um, yeah. We, there was, there was certainly some shoegazing, especially on the more jagged aspects of the trip, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the more treacherous parts. I'm not going to lie and say we didn't look down. We're also going through, you know, Wine Geek here. We're also going through some of the premier spots for growing grapes in Spain. Mm -hmm. And it just happened to coincide with bud break and the start of a new growing season. So the 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 part of me that couldn't turn off the work part of me would would stop and look at the vineyards. And I wouldn't go into them. I wouldn't touch them because I know how much that can be a, a, a bit of a bother to the vineyard all. 
Um, but just watching that, I would stop and look at the vineyards and I'd stop mm-hmm. and look at the trellising and I'd stop and look at the, the goblet, those, those freestanding vines. And, um, yeah, I'd stop and look at all that kind of stuff. So I had my head up for most of that. Yeah, definitely downhill focusing on the feet, focusing on, uh, you know, the loose bits of rock. But I think for the most part, we really soaked in just the atmosphere around us and the people we were with and, um, it was such a remarkable thing being able to always be facing forward. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those never look back situations because it's the whole point of the trip is, is this pilgrimage and to always know that the next thing would be brand new for the entirety of your journey was, was really something special. Yeah. I, I would also, I would also add too that uh, um, a few people complimented me on, on this, but I have one of these, eyes for beauty like i'll just be walking and i'll see something and that's a photo and the light is the light's right the contrast is what it needs to be i'm not a trained photographer or anything but i just i can see a good photo when when it presents itself and so if i would been looking at my shoes the whole time i would have missed i don't know five or six hundred photos that we took over time certainly wasn't living through my camera or wasn't living through the phone wasn't living for that next photo but I would be self-aware enough uh, or aware of our surroundings enough to, to capture those moments. And um, it, you couldn't do that looking at your feet. No. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, my next question was for you, Jamie, did you enter churches along the Camino? Uh, absolutely. Um, actually, one of the most profound moments I had on Camino was at a church. Um, I come from... Uh, I, I come from a history of like, I haven't gone to Catholic school. Uh, 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 best could be described as a lapsed Catholic. Um, religion was probably more and more in my life than, than I would say um, Vanessa's even recently. Um, but I stayed away from the churches initially because I didn't think I was there for the spiritual aspect and I didn't want to be an imposter. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to be a, a tourist per se. Uh, but as that mental barrier started to come down and as it started to open up, I was more receptive, uh, to the churches So by the end, when you got to, uh, Osirebro, I'm going to say it wrong. Osirebro. Um, yeah, I was all in like, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm going over in May. I'm hoping to do fingers crossed, uh, a a concert in that church in Osirebro, which will, yeah, which will be magic. I'm going to sing hymns. Just hymns. I'm not going to oh. sing. I'm not going to sing any any pop songs or rock and roll songs. I'm just going to sing hymns. Uh, so it'll be magic. Yeah, I love that church so much. It's just. It's still. It's just the quietest place. It's so beautiful. Vanessa, you're back now, and you've been back a little while. You've had a bit of time to process it all. How do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it? Oh gosh, um, I describe it as a life-changing journey. I describe it as an adventure of a lifetime. I uh, We did some extensive, people had encouraged us to um, share our journey because so many people had still yet to travel when we traveled. And um, it inspired a lot of people and it gave a lot of people joy. And I kept saying to everybody that said, you know, what a what an incredible trip, what a great journey. What a huge adventure. And I, I still say it, if it speaks to you, then, you know, pack a bag and book a plane ticket and the rest takes care of itself. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's right. 
That's right. But it, if it, it speaks does. to you, yeah, yeah. But if it speaks to you, you have to do it. it. It you need to put it on your list. You need to make space in your life for this major life changing event. Yeah, and if it speaks to you, you need to listen. That's right. Yeah, you need to listen. So I was so lucky to be in Canada in November last year, and I met a, a Tom and Dale from the London chapter of the Canadian Company of Pilgrims, and David and, and Colleen in uh, in Hamilton, and and up and Paul and the team up in Ottawa as well. Are you guys part of a Camino chapter where you are in Canada? I've looked at I've looked at them. We were actually at your performance in uh, London at the Grand Theatre, and it was a fantastic evening. I can't recommend uh, it highly enough to see you perform live. Uh, we weren't, uh, or we haven't yet. Uh, it's not to say that we won't yeah. uh, join one. Um, we were very much going into it with again. It's it's that same thing that kept me out of the church for a while is that I I didn't want to be. I wanted to form my own experiences and then go into it yeah. afterwards and yeah. say, okay, here's what I have to contribute as opposed to somebody who's simply has the desire to go. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to be a window dresser, but a uh, window shopper rather, but um, no, we'll, I think we will eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I encourage you to, because they're wonderful people. Every, every single person I met in the whole uh, Camino experience in Canada was just fabulous, just absolutely full of love and care and, and encouragement and kindness. It was amazing. So, Vanessa, what do your family and friends think of Jamie and Vanessa the Pilgrims? Uh, uh, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, the people in the immediate space in my life uh, very much took over my life while I was able to Camino. So my parents, my siblings, my village of, of friends really helped Um you know, manage the things that I could not six for six weeks while I was away. Uh, everyone else has sort of a polarized opinion. They're, they're either that's absolutely insane. What the heck were you thinking? Or <laughs> they are. That is the most incredible thing I've ever heard. Where do I sign up? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's everybody has their own opinion on this particular type of experience and and it can be very polarizing um but nonetheless they they see the massive positive impact to to you know my well-being and my life and as well as Jamie's and uh no matter their opinion they're they're absolutely 100% supportive even if they think we're crazy <laughs> yeah that's great no how wonderful Look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Really, it has. My son, Lewis, and I had such a wonderful time in Canada. We even learned to portage a canoe. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and we've learned so much from listening to you both through the course of this interview. It's been a real pleasure. But which one of you, or I, both of you, going to tell us a Camino story? Cool. <laughs> we'll each share a short one, if, you, if you'll permit. Absolutely. Uh would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? Uh, okay. So I mentioned that Jamie bought me peanut butter. Um, that day was pretty iconic because uh, I was getting pat, you know, getting through or working through my, my injury. And um, it was a relatively easy walk that day. I had peanut butter. So I was very happy. 
And I remember coming into, what was the name of the town? San Juan de Ortega. Into San Juan de Ortega. And we're walking into the town and I said, you know, the best thing that could happen is that, you know, we round the corner and we're at our accommodation and all of our friends are there. And what are the chances? Because we had been a little out of touch with our people and we didn't really know where anybody was. And we cross the bridge and we roll into town and we turn the corner. And do you remember the albergue bar that it looks like a little, like a little crooked house, the little gingerbread house. Yeah, 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 yeah. As you come into town totally. before the, um, yeah. yeah. And I think it's like a seven bed albergue. Yep. And that's where we were staying. And all of our friends are sitting in the courtyard and they cheer us in and there's frosty beer and, and great wine. And that was the day that all of our respective Camino families that we had co collected, they all came together that day in the same courtyard for the same celebration and, um, we ordered every pizza on the menu and it was just, it was so beautiful just to have the everybody perfect. there and the weather was perfect. And little did we know some of the family we wouldn't actually mm. see again after that day. Right. And that day was to me, I didn't know it at the time, but that was maybe the highlight, the best day of my Camino. Nice. Oh, fantastic. Jamie? Uh, my story, uh, we just happened to be going through our Camino on uh, Easter. And for those people who are thinking about walking the Camino during Easter, a quick little bit of advice. Every town has its own rules about what's open, what's closed. Uh, we go into a tourist office and we'd say, you know, like we, we want to be respectful, what's open, what's not. And the answer was always, it depends. So <laughs> you, you're kind of winging a prayer when you're going through. And, uh, so East, going into Easter Sunday, we were going into Castro, Castro Yerath. And uh, for those of you who've walked to the Camino, you know that Castro Yerath has been around since the ninth century. But the, road, the town is one giant strip of road. And um, it's beautiful, but there aren't a lot of side streets. And so as you're getting in, we had booked ahead. And the owner of the Real where we had stayed had said, you know, can you be here by noon? It's Easter Sunday. And I said, of course, you know, it's be respectful, um, be a respectful tourist or a peregrino. And uh, so we we got up early. We we hoofed it. We made it into town around 1130. We checked in. Woman's name was Beatrice. Uh, beautiful house. I Either her or her husband's family had owned this house for a while. It was modest. It was beautiful. Her husband had built these like doll houses in like craftsmen. They had the bottles and the ships. The, the house was so well cared for. It was a house that definitely had love in it. And she didn't speak any English. Our Spanish at that point wasn't good enough that we weren't all using Google Translate to, to make do. Um, but she asked if she could help with our laundry. She she took our laundry and she made a couple of euro to help out with that. But she found out that our, our laundry bag, the one we were taking our dirty clothes in, was torn. So when we came back with our to get our laundry, she had actually replaced and repaired our laundry bag for us. Um, it was the real. So there was a breakfast the next morning and uh, the food was, she had researched what she thought Canadians ate for breakfast. And she pr presented this amazing spread of some things we recognized, some things we didn't, but everything was delicious. And it was just a truly great experience. And as we're leaving, we offered her a couple extra euro, you know, thank you. You went over and above. It was Easter Sunday. Like you had somewhere else to be like you. Thank you. Thank you. 
and she didn't wouldn't take the money. Um, Beatrice said, because Castellanos is this one long strip of of road, she's at the end of the town, and as uh, Pellegrino come into town, they're going to stop at the first place they can find. And so she doesn't get as many people as she would like to, to make it sustainable. So all she asked for in return was a good review on, on Google, on like TripAdvisor. She just wanted to move up the rankings a bit so people would discover her because she was three quarters of the way, if not 80% of the way through town. And I would I would have thrown her another... 20 or 30 euro and written her the review, but all she wanted wow. was that review. And it was the least you could do on an Easter Sunday. And I thought, you know what? That's the spirit of the Camino in a nutshell. This, this person who sees a, a Pellegrino every day and just wants to, and just wants to help make their journey a little bit better on what is one of the most special days in Spanish culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's great. So it's Beatrice in Castro Jerez. And you say that she's kind of on the, on the, well, on the Western end of town. Yeah, she's about three quarters of the way through, um, and just uh, I don't have the name of the place written down. I just uh, well, I could find it if I need to, but absolutely, just a wonderful human being, and she really made that because we were coming into it with a lot of that anxiety too around what's open, what's not, can we find food, can we not? Everything was closed because it's Easter Sunday, and she just uh, allayed all of those concerns and, and made us feel so special. She so very well. much felt like a Camino grandma. Yes. <laughs> It was definitely a Camino Grandma. Camino uh, Grandma. Well, they are two fantastic stories. That's so great. How wonderful. And what a wonderful experience it's been for all of us to hear your thoughts and experiences, Vanessa and Jamie. Thank you so much for getting in touch. And thank you for your kind words about my show in London, Ontario, the Grand Theatre. Man, that was a night. Um, that was such a great night. Magic it was. It was spectacular. It was fantastic. So listen, thank you so much. Merry Christmas and Buen Camino. Buen Camino and Merry Christmas. Buen Camino and Merry Christmas to you, Dan. My guests this week were Vanessa and Jamie Kwai from Ontario in Canada. Dream big, pilgrims. And if you're listening to this at Christmas, Merry Christmas from me and my family and a new year beckons. And if you're listening to this with the new year on the horizon, Happy New Year. Let's make this one really special. Let's all dream big together. I don't usually quote billionaires, but the Brazilian billionaire Jorge Paulo Lemon said, to have a big dream requires the same effort as having a small dream. Dream big. See you all in 2024. In the meantime, that's it for this week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way